Okay, here we go then. <clears throat> good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Free Association. This is the, the 20 past 7 show. Haven't pre-planned anything, but I'm going to take a look and see if I can find some technology-related material on BitChute. There's always something. It might be a bit histrionic, though. See what we've got on the technology section. Science and technology. Next level privacy with voice over IP. Let's see what this is about. Let me ask you a few questions that may seem unrelated. Number one, how long have you had your current Number two, do you get a lot of work? or spam calls. Alright, we'll get there. This is bit shoot we're talking about, so it takes a little bit of a Do you wish your boss wouldn't call you or text you after work? And number four, are you using any websites that only offer SMS to fact? For the record, please don't actually leave any answers in the comments. This is a thought experiment. Depending on your answers, this video might be for you, because in this video, I'm going to talk all about voice over IP and why you should include it in your privacy toolbox if you are ill. For this video's promo segment, I want to let you guys know some exciting news. We have a merch store. That's right. You can now go by. Thank you guys so much for your ongoing support. So as always, let's start off with a definition. What is voice over IP? Voice over IP, often called VoIP, is simply phone calls over the internet. For you as the end user, it functions almost exactly the same. All of the apps I'm going to talk about later in this video allow you to make calls. Some of them even allow video calls. So it's basically just a phone number that is not tied to your SIM card, but rather functions over the internet. And because nowadays the internet is accessible via cell data, that means it's also accessible over cell networks. And like I said, for all intents and purposes, it's basically a phone number. Voice over IP has actually been around for a long time. If you've ever worked an office job, you've probably used it. Most companies don't actually have hundreds of phone numbers. They have voice over IP numbers that they assign to different desks and stations. For our purposes, what this means is that you can have multiple phone numbers. And we're going to talk in a minute about why that is valuable. Now, one quick drawback that is worth noting, the quality and reliability of your calls depends heavily on your internet connection because, again, this is voice over internet. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere, you may not be able to connect at all. Or if you do, it may be near unintelligible, whereas if you switch over to your regular SIM number, it'll probably be significantly better. 
for most of us who live in a highly developed area where internet is readily available at most, if not all times, this is really not a big deal. I do want to add a quick caveat. A lot of people trash the idea of voice over IP because it's not end-to-end -end encrypted. That's okay. Different tools for different jobs. Voice over IP in this context is not designed to be a secure method of communication. It is designed to reduce tracking and protect you. For example, using a voice over IP number for two-factor, if it's a website that doesn't accept any other form of two-factor, that reduces the odds of a SIM swapping attack if that website suffers a data breach. It is significantly harder to SIM swap a voice over IP number than a regular SIM card phone. So keep that in mind when we talk about this stuff later. None of these options really offer any meaningful end-to-end -end encryption or zero-knowledge storage, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be used. It's about knowing where the tool is supposed to be used. I wouldn't use a screwdriver to try and drill a hole through a wall. That doesn't mean a screwdriver sucks. It means it's not the right tool for the job. So why do I recommend voice over IP? The biggest reason is because these days, phone numbers are basically trackers. One of the questions I asked at the beginning was how long have you had your phone number? Personally, I've had my SIM card number for 13 years, if I did my math right. And if you're not a privacy-focused person, that number usually gets handed out like candy. People use the same number for hunting for jobs, they use it for ordering things online, they use it for making friends, they use it for signing up for different services. A lot of restaurants you go to nowadays, if there's a wait, they'll ask for your phone number so they can text you when the table's waiting. This ubiquity has made phone numbers very good trackers. They've become heavily tied with our lives. And if you think they're not good trackers, consider the story of Twitter who was asking people for their phone numbers under the pretext of using it for two-factor authentication, but in reality, they were using it for marketing purposes. Phone numbers are a very valuable part of your profile. They're basically social security numbers these days. This is especially true in countries where people are required to present an ID to buy a SIM card number, so it becomes impossible to get a cell phone without directly legally tying your ID to it. In countries where that's not a requirement, it's still very common for people to buy a phone on credit, which requires them to pull a credit check, and now your ID is tied to that phone and that number. There are a ton of resources out there for looking up phone numbers. This isn't limited purely to Twitter and their ad partners. Your boss can take the phone number that you put on a resume or application and use that to look you up. The date that you met online and are meeting for the first time could do the exact same thing. Phone numbers are extremely powerful and effective trackers. That's the biggest reason I recommend voice over IP, but there are other reasons that are tangentially related to that. For example, I mentioned people can look you up. This is a great way to separate your work and your personal life. If you use one phone number for personal stuff and one phone number for work stuff, if your boss tries to look up that phone number, they won't find you. Or at very least, they'll only find work-related professional stuff, which is a great plus. You can also use this to set healthy work-life boundaries. You can shut off that voice over IP number at the end of the day because you only use it for work. Now, obviously, I don't recommend doing this if you work a job where you're on call, but if you work a job where you clock in, clock out, and go home, shut off that number. Reclaim your personal life. Another advantage is that it does reduce spam and robocalls. Because you're not using the same number everywhere and you're prioritizing them, which I will talk about shortly, that means that the numbers that are actually important to you, like your friends, your family, your work numbers, those are less likely to get caught up in data breaches or sold around by scummy data sellers, and therefore are less likely to end up in a robocall database. It really cuts down on the amount of spam. Compared to the people around me, I get basically no robocalls or spam calls. I get a couple a month, and they're incredibly rare. 
Finally, there is the possibility you might be able to save some money. Depending on the kind of phone plan you have, you might have to pay for minutes. At least in my part of the world, that's not super common anymore, but I know in other parts of the world, they still do things like pay by the text message, for example, which is why things like WhatsApp are so popular in other parts of the world. Well, this could be a good way around that possibly. Okay, so real quick, before I jump into my recommendations, I want to give you some advice on how to use voiceover IP numbers, or at least how I use them. Some of the options that I'm going to present here allow you to have multiple numbers, which really opens up a lot of possibilities. If you only have access to one voiceover IP number as a secondary, then this might limit you, and you might have to do some prioritizing. Maybe it's more important to you to have a personal number and a work number, or maybe it's important to you to have, like, a junk number and a real number. If you do have the option to have multiple phone numbers, here's what I do. I have one that's used for personal stuff. I have one that's used exclusively for signal. That might be a little overkill for some people, but it works out well for me. I have one that I use for work. I have one that I use for important stuff like medical, housing, etc. And I have a burner phone number that I cycle out about once a month. And that's the one I use for like ordering pizza if they need to call me and find my home, or if I'm dropping off my car at the mechanic and I need to give them a number where they can call me and reach me. Really, at the end of the day, this is totally personal preference. I'm not going to tell you there's a right way or you have to do this. I'm just throwing out some ideas on how I use it. So you guys might have different needs and different threat models. That's totally okay. Last but not least, let's talk about some of the different voiceover IP options that I recommend on the website and some of the features they have to offer. We're going to start off with my personal favorite, MySudo. MySudo is really popular in the privacy community because they give you up to nine phone numbers. In fact, they're not just phone numbers, they're full-on identities. Each identity is its own little container that comes with a web browser that blocks trackers, email, masked credit cards, and phone call and SMS. If you're contacting another MySudo number, then your phone calls are actually end-to-end -end encrypted, and you can also do video calls and group chats at that point. They claim that their service is zero-knowledge encrypted at rest, so once the data is in your inbox, for example, it is supposed to be zero-knowledge. Unfortunately, it is US, UK, and Canada only when it comes to phone numbers. There's also not really a free tier. I mean, there is a free tier, but you can only talk to other MySudo users, so it's not really functional for the purposes of this game. Our next recommendation is called Hushed, and fans of TechLore may be familiar with this one because this is the one that Henry used while he was on Calyx OS. On the plus side, Hushed offers you an unlimited number of phone numbers, as many as you are willing to pay for. Unfortunately, they only offer US and Canadian phone numbers. Other than that, they're pretty straightforward. They offer SMS, they offer phone call, they don't offer any group calls or video calls or anything like that. It's a very bare-bones, straightforward service. Now, this next entry might surprise you, and that's Google Voice. I want to remind you what I said earlier about how these are not to be used for privacy from the company. These are used to defend against stalkers, doxers, and data breaches. So yes, in this scenario, Google Voice would have access to all of your correspondence. But remember that when it comes to sensitive communications, you should be using an encrypted messenger for those kinds of things. Voice over IP is not for sensitive communication. It is for the day-to-day -day trivial stuff where you can't get somebody to use something like Signal instead. It would be really nice if my boss used Signal, but I don't have the ability to force him to do that. Same thing with my bank, same thing with the mechanic when they're calling to tell me that my car is ready for pickup. Getting back on topic, Google Voice is free, which is probably their biggest draw. They also offer an unlimited number of phone numbers. You can have as many as you want. They will forward the service to your regular phone number so you don't have to download an app if you don't want to. It works with phone calls and SMS messaging. 
but unfortunately only offers US and Canadian numbers. Our next service is a recent addition, so I'm not gonna lie, I'm not super familiar with them. I haven't had a chance to test them out myself, but as with all of the services on the website, I did do my research when they were suggested to us. This is a service called Tossable Digits. Tossable Digits offers an unlimited number of phone numbers in a whopping 70 countries. So if I understood their website right, that means there are 70 different countries where you can get a phone number with this service. Unfortunately, SMS only works in US and Canada, but phone numbers should work in the other 68 countries, which is a huge win if you live outside the US. Next up is Skype. I know that's also kind of a weird addition to have on this list, but Skype does actually allow you to get a phone number where you can call other people and have them call you. Skype only gives you 10 phone numbers, but they are available in over 25 countries. As a really cool bonus, they have a desktop app, so you don't necessarily have to have a phone on or with you or above. Unfortunately, it does require a Microsoft account. So there's a lot of pros to Skype, but there's also a lot of cons as well. Also, Skype does have an option for end-to-end -end chats. You have to opt into this, but it is a feature with other Skype users. So if you know other Skype users, you guys can have an encrypted chat using the Signal protocol. However, they probably don't do anything to resist metadata, so beware of that when you're having that chat. There is some data that gets exposed there. Last but not least, there's a service called Viber. Viber claims that they have zero-knowledge storage, they claim that they are end-to-end -end encrypted to other Viber users, and they claim to offer worldwide phone numbers. Unfortunately, they only offer one phone number, so this would be a situation where if you have that one phone number, you kind of have to pick what's important to you. Do you want to use it for trash? Do you want to use it for work? Do you want to use it for signal? It's entirely up to you, but that is an option out there. And again, they offer phone numbers from a large number of countries, which is why they're on this list to give people who are outside the US and Canada a few more options. Before I go, I want to remind you guys, we now have a merch store, so... Let's not worry about his merchandise too much. <laughs> and uh, let's have a look and see what else we got in the science and technology section here. Oh, here's a little bit about low-energy nuclear reactions. Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishnah. Uh, I have been interested in low energy nuclear reactions as a result of the 2050 because I was concerned already, even in 1978, with carbon energy. Mm -hmm. We're talking about what is sometimes called cold fusion. Cold fusion, yes. Mm -hmm. LENR. Mm -hmm. um, and so, what got me interested in it was people said to me, um, well, they don't burn carbon anymore. Or not very much. Well, still a little of it, but not very much. And I said, well, 
when uh, I want you to go to a place where some conveyance exists that would permit you to, to move locally. Again, not a car, not a bicycle, some place where a conveyance mm -hmm. exists that will allow you to move locally. Mm -hmm. How is it powered? Oh, well, you, go, you don't buy a car. You buy a chassis, and then you buy a, a superstructure that fits bolts onto it, mm -hmm. and you buy a kind of box that, that powers it. And I said, well, what's the box? Well, I don't know. It's, it looks kind of simple. It gets warm, but not hot. Ooh. It it has it produces more power than it takes. I can't quite describe for you how it works, but you buy a little one to, to, to drive a car, you buy a bigger one to power your house, and an even bigger one to do a whole building. Mm -hmm. And that got me interested in uh, LENR, and I've been following that research yeah. ever since. It's been controversial, but it looks like they're making progress. Well, SRI reports that they're making progress. Uh, Mitsubishi reports they're making progress, mm -hmm. so we're going to see. Mm -hmm. But in any case, and we also now see I just read a paper uh, just a few days ago about how they're going to manufacture chassis and then you can put whatever kind of car body you want oh. on top of it. Oh. So, as I say, the, the interesting thing about this 2050 research is that every trend they predicted, mm -hmm. was, well, there was strong consensus, yeah. those have all happened. Mm -hmm. so, the demise of the Soviet Union, the disappearance of the Soviet Union, AIDS, the rise of terrorism. All right, that was uh, new thinking aloud. It's a clip. There's another clip about nuclear fission and fusion. It'll be here any second. I've got it on autoplay. If you've been following the news lately, you might be wondering what all the fuss about nuclear fusion is. The possibilities of nuclear fusion are far beyond your wildest dreams. Stars are powered by it. Nuclear fusion is a near limitless source of energy. It emits no greenhouse gases. Fortunately for us, European science has achieved a significant milestone in their quest to create a vital nuclear fusion technology. What is this most recent significant development, and what does it portend for how we might produce electricity in the future? Journalists will explore the revolutionary nuclear fusion breakthrough. First off, what exactly is nuclear fusion? How does it work in terms of producing electricity? You've probably heard nuclear power plants, which operate in the nuclear fission principle. Nuclear, the dense centers of atoms made of the particles, protons, and neutrons, are modified in both fission and fusion. Fission is the process of splitting a large nucleus into smaller nuclei. 
produces a significant amount of energy that can be used to produce electricity. Uranium, which can be split into elements with smaller nuclei, like krypton and barium, is an example of an element with a larger nucleus. This generates a lot of radioactive waste that needs to be properly and safely disposed of. The opposite, nuclear fission and nuclear fusion, involves joining too much smaller nuclei to create a larger one, once more releasing energy in the process. Sun utilizes fusion to produce energy that runs through 620 million tons of hydrogen every second to create helium, which sustains life on Earth. Theoretically, repeating this process should be able to unleash vast amounts of energy that might be used to fuel our life. But in practice, things are a little more tricky than that. Both fission and fusion require energy to start. Thus, you must get more energy out than you put in in order to justify investing money to cause a reaction. However, as you may recall from your high school physics classes, this claim is illogical on its own because you cannot create energy. Rather, you can only transfer it from one form to another. So let's go on. The concept of mass energy equivalence, which essentially holds that every item with a mass also possesses intrinsic energy, can be used to explain this. This is described by Einstein's famous equation E equals mc squared, where E stands for energy, m for mass, and c squared is the square of the speed of light. Energy is therefore always conserved when dealing with fission and fusion. It just so happens that in fusion, some atomic mass is converted to energy and released, which is what we use to power electricity generators. The ideal energy source would be nuclear fusion. It is clean because of fission it does not directly produce radioactive waste, although it's separate waste is part of the reaction product reacting with materials of the reactor itself. Even though fission is currently the most effective method of producing electricity, the amount of energy released in fusion can be up to four times greater. According to estimates, a few grams of raw materials could produce enough energy to support one person in another nation for more than 60 years. Fusion is also much safer than fission. All of this sounds great, so why hasn't fusion begun yet? One of the reasons that fusion processes are challenging to carry into now is because fission reactions need much less harsh circumstances than fusion reactions need. Comparatively simple to fusion, which requires forcing two positively charged nuclei close enough to fuse, fission entails dividing a big nucleus. The sun is able to do this because of its size, which creates an environment where fusion can take place because of its own gravity and already high temperature. Since a tiny nuclear reactor on Earth cannot produce so much gravitational force, fusion requires enormous pressures and temperatures to take place. The tokamak steps in at this point. The most popular design for fusion reactors is a tokamak which uses strong magnets to confine plasma fuel for fusion. The largest and most sophisticated tokamak in the world the Joint European Taurus jet is headquartered in Oxfordshire. The tokamak operates at extreme temperatures about 150 million degrees Celsius. The temperature of our sun, which reaches its highest point at about 15 million degrees Celsius, pales in comparison to this. It's also hotter than anywhere else in the entire solar system. Since there aren't many materials that can withstand such high temperatures, the tokamak magnets keep the scalding hot plasma away from the walls. Recently, JET has made headlines more than double the amount of fusion energy produced in comparison to the record in 1997. By combining two different forms of hydrogen, the UK-based JET laboratory broke its own record the amount of energy it can extract. Over five seconds, the experiments generated 
59 megawatts of energy, 11 megawatts of power. The amount of energy is produced to fill about 60 kettle of water, so it is not insignificant in the men. However, its significance lies in the fact that it supports design decisions made for a larger fusion reactor currently being built in France. The JESS experiments put us a step closer to fusion power, said Dr. John Mills, the head of operations the reactor lab. We've demonstrated that we can create a mini-star inside of our machine and hold it there for five seconds and get high performance, which really takes us into a new realm. At some point, the procedure will be applied to power steam turbines. A coalition of international governments, including those from EU member states, the US, China, and Russia, is supporting the ITER facility in southern France. It's anticipated the last stage in establishing nuclear fusion's viability as a constant source of energy second half of this century. Fusion-based power plants in the future will operate with very little short liquid radioactive waste and no greenhouse gases. These experiments we've just completed had to work, said Jeff, CEO of Professor Chen. If they hadn't, then we'd have real concerns about other interconnected goals. This was high stakes. The fact that we achieved what we did was down to the brilliance of people who had trust in scientific endeavor. He told BBC News, according to the fusion theory, energy can be released by compacting atomic nuclei together rather than dividing them as in the fission reactions that fuel existing nuclear power plants. This is possible with temperatures at about 10 million degrees Celsius in the sun's core because of the intense gravitational pressures there. The temperatures required to generate fusion must be significantly higher, above 100 million degrees Celsius, and the much lower pressures are feasible enough. There are no materials that can stand up to direct touch with such heat. Scientists therefore developed a method in which a superheated gas, plasma, is maintained inside a donut-shaped magnetic field in order to produce fusion in a laboratory. For almost 40 years, the joint European force jets has been at the forefront of this fusion method. Additionally, it has been built to mimic the projected ITER setup for the last 10 years. JET used carbon for its world-beating experiments in 1997. But carbon absorbs radioactive tritium. Thus, beryllium or tungsten metals are used to build new vessel walls for the most recent testing, about 10 times less absorbent. After that, the jet science team had to adjust their plasma to function well in this novel setting. Star builders, nuclear fusion, and the race to power the planet, author Dr. Arthur Torrell said, This is a stunning result because they managed to demonstrate the greatest amount of energy output in fusion reactions of any device in history. It's a landmark because they demonstrated stability of the plasma only five seconds. That doesn't sound very long, but on a nuclear timescale, it's a very, very long time indeed. And it's very easy then to go from five seconds to five minutes or five hours or even longer. Jets cover electromagnets overheat to the point where they cannot continue to operate, but superconducting magnets that are internally cooled will be used for ETA. This is a well-known fact that fusion processes in the lab require more energy to start than they can produce. The trials are done on two 400 megawatt flywheels of jet. However, as the plasmas are scaled up, there is a strong indication that this disadvantage can be overcome in the future. If the same conditions and guidelines follow the ESA as they have been for jet, it's predicted that not only will break-even be possible, we may also reach a stage where ten times the energy input in the form of electricity may be released, which would be revolutionary for the future of electricity production.
the heart of the 2023 jet is likely to be retired by ETA will start planting studies in 2025 or shortly thereafter. Despite the highly promising developments in the realm of nuclear fusion, commercial fusion reactors are still many decades away. Clean fusion power cannot come soon enough, given the current state of the climate emergency and the need for sustainable energy. In the not far future, if research is fruitful, nuclear fusion becomes widely accepted, we might inhabit a greener world with an almost infinite supply of electricity. Let us know what you think of this nuclear fusion breakthrough in the comment section below. Alright, there you have it. Um, the next one's Mike Adams, so I'm not playing that, I don't think. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Mike Adams a break for tonight. That's half an hour, so that's enough. It's a half an hour show on technology. So that's a new format for me, which I'm quite happy with. So I can do half an hour news, half an hour technology every day, probably, or every couple of days. All right. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again soon.